Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Good evening and welcome to tonight's episode of Bore You to Sleep. We're going to kick it off with continuing the readings from the Boone and Crockett Club's American Big Game Hunting. If you've enjoyed the episodes, please like the episode in the podcast app. Also, please subscribe and say hello. I hope you've enjoyed the episodes, but not so much that they don't make you feel sleepy. Enjoy and sit back and relax. Tonight's episode, A Day with the Elk. Early in September of 1890, we were in camp in the northern part of Colorado, an easy day's ride from the Wyoming line. Our party, eight in all, consisted of myself, three friends, three packers, and a cook. We had been out nearly a month, and after the first week, our success had been good. We were taking life very easily, hunting a little, fishing now and then, and doing a great deal of healthy lying round the camp. Game was very plentiful. There were black tail and elk all around us. The antelope, than whom the ammunition manufacturer has no truer friend, were within easy reach. One of the party had bagged two bears and a packer had found a dead one whose four paws and ears were sufficiently preserved to be worth a $10 bounty to the finder. The outfit, with two exceptions, was content. Our cook, having serotipously drunk all the whiskey, was struggling with an increasing thirst, provoked by an empty demijohn. My cup of happiness, unlike the cook's, had never been emptied, but it was far from full. I had not shot an elk. They were all around us, and had been for a fortnight. I had hunted them alone, and in company, 
I had had many chances at young bulls, but had the hitherto held in my hand, waiting in vain for a good head. We had plenty of meat, a condition of things forbidding useless slaughter. Spike bulls and cows were therefore sacred and seemed to know it, for they gave me every chance to take advantage of their youthful inexperience or gender. Twice I had stumbled on a large band in timber. I had heard the musical challenges of the young bulls answered by the patriarch with his squealing whistle ending in a deep grunt of conscious superiority. The young bulls were provokingly plentiful, but the patriarchs always invisible. Of course, every other member of the outfit saw the biggest bull yet whenever I happened to be absent. Each of my three friends had a good head or two to his score, and their accounts were closed. Our time was nearly up. I began to despair of getting what I wanted. For two days, I sulked in my tent, and then one morning... Robert Bruce's historic spider fell into my lap from the tent pole and I arose and went forth for a last try. Our camp was by a stream in an aspen grove on the edge of one of those open spaces which, be they large or small, are known in Colorado as parks. Behind us, to the south, lay heavily timbered ridges, alternating with little valleys full of shade trees, long, sweet grass, and pleasant brooks. There, I thought, was as good a place as any in which to find the faultless monster that the world had never saw, and I accordingly went. It was about noon when I started, and my intention was to work away to the south, and then hunt back to the camp toward the evening. I know that there are those who say, if you want to kill game, you must get up early. They are perfectly right, and I agree with them entirely. But there are others who maintain, with equal truth, that towards sundown is the best time. One time is good as the other, and inasmuch as an empty belly and the dark before the dawn are bitter things to me and to be avoided if possible. 
I prefer the evening shoot. So fortified with a good night's rest and a breakfast calculated to last me till the morrow. I set forth alone and on foot. In hunting, as in most cases, where real work is to be done, one is best alone. Two people are apt to talk at the wrong time. And even if you do not talk at all, four feet make of necessity more noise than two. And two bodies are easier seen than one. I left my horse behind because I did not wish to burden myself with an extra responsibility. A horse can be a dreadful nuisance. You may want to go where he cannot, and so you must either leave him tied up somewhere, or else suit your way to his. Again, you lose valuable time in dismounting and tying up before stalking and shooting your game and both time and temper suffer when you can't find the right place where you left your horse. Some men have the true woodsman's instinct and never get lost or turned around. These are fortunate beings and worthy of respectful admiration. But woe to him who, unendowed by nature with their gifts, seeks to imitate them. For my part, I have always had quite enough to do to keep my head and feet as to the direction of the camp. Any extra strain, such as the necessity of looking for a mislaid horse, is sure to cause a disagreement between the members and so bring on a catastrophe. I had been out several hours. It was getting on toward evening and I was well on my way home. There was no lack of elk in the neighbourhood, for more my fortunate friends had proved that they were easy to find. I could see that bands had roved that very morning over the country through which my path lay. I could see where Great Bull had thrashed the young sapling with his horns till the tender bark was stripped off, or hung in long, wet ribbons from the wounded tree. And in the pools, where the big fellows had wallowed, the mud had scarce settled. In places the grass was trampled and littered, as if by a bunch of cattle, the sign was plentiful 
and fresh. Still, I heard no whistle, nor saw a living thing, save now and then when a big-eyed black-tailed doe would gaze at me with mild wonder until she got my wind, and then away she would bounce through the timber, followed by her startled fawn. But the shadows were getting longer, and the air cooler. The sun was going rapidly down the hill. I knew now that was the time when the elk were sure to be moving down out of the timber for their evening feed in the open glades. I was making my way quietly along a little stream whose timbered banks afforded good cover and at the same time a view of the small parks running up the wooded ridges on either side. Suddenly, my heart went to my throat, and I dropped in my tracks. There, to the left and with a few yards of me, was a cow coming down through the timber to drink. Close behind her was another cow, and then a young spike bull. I lay still and breathless, praying to all the gods that the band, which I felt sure was behind, might pass my hiding place. There would surely be a big bull or two among them, and at the distance if I missed, I was already thinking whether the neck or the shoulder was the best chance. The cow bent her head to the water and began to drink. Her two companions paused on the brink. Nothing else showed. The cow raised her dripping muzzle. I was so near that I could hear the drops tinkle as they fell back into the stream and then a puff of wind, soft as a sigh, fanned my cheek, and with a snort and a bound, the two cows and their youthful escort vanished back into the wood. They had got my wind, for see me they could not, and no log could have lain more still. Then arose a mighty trampling on the other side of the stream. The trio had evidently rejoined the band, startling them by their sudden retreat. I crept across the stream and crawled through the thicket to spy out the land and beyond. A thick, low clump thrust itself like a venomous green tongue out into the open park which stretched away in front of me to the right and left. 
Beyond the park was a heavily wooded ridge. Whither I felt, I sure the band had gone. But no, not all. Further on, at the extreme end of the green tongue of timber, in full view and broadside on, stood a young bull. He was evidently the last of the herd. He stood gazing about him as if he wondered what had startled the others and why they had left him so unceremoniously. What a picture he made as he stood outlined against the green hillside, turning his lordly head slowly from side to side with watchful eye and spreading nostril. I had seen plenty as good as he and had held my hand. But then it might be my last chance. He was only a ten-pointer. But I had gone home so often empty-handed and he was only 70 or 80 yards away. Instinctively, my rifle went to my shoulder. My finger pressed the trigger, and the elk got away. What are mere words to describe what I felt as I walked off back to the camp and realised... It was going to be another day, and that is the end of the story for now. American Big Game Hunting, Moon and Crockett Club. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope it made you feel a little sleepy. If you would like to listen to some other episodes, please go ahead and enjoy.